Welcome to Kidney Commute, brought to you by the National Kidney Foundation, driven by the interprofessional team with emphasis on the patient voice. In each episode, we will incorporate the perspectives of the different members of the kidney team as well as the patient. Join our huddle on all things kidney health and allow new perspectives to inspire collaboration in your practice. Eligible listeners can earn credit along the way. The Kidney Commute, a continuing education podcast planned by the team for the team. Hello and welcome to the Kidney Commute, an NKF podcast. My name is Osama El Shami, Assistant Professor of Medicine at Vanderbilt University Medical Center and a nephrologist and I'll be the host of today's discussion. Today, we will be talking about transitions of care for kidney patients. This includes patients who had never had any kidney issues who presented a hospital with acute kidney injury, some of whom require dialysis, at least temporarily. It includes patients who have known chronic kidney disease who crash into dialysis, as well as outpatient chronic kidney disease patients who are transitioning to outpatient dialysis. These transitions can be hard for our patients to undertake, and it is our role as healthcare providers to understand their struggle and familiarize ourselves with the perspectives of the different players in patient care, as well as, of course, the patients themselves. Joining me today is an esteemed group of panelists who I'll now ask to introduce themselves. My name is Heather Eckstein. I am a duly certified family nurse practitioner and acute care nurse practitioner with UC Nephrology in Cincinnati, Ohio. Hello, my name is Nupur Gupta. I am an assistant professor of medicine at Indiana University. My name is Suzanne Payne and I'm the renal case manager for the University of Vanderbilt in Nashville, Tennessee. My name is Gretchen Weiss. I'm a registered dietitian in Denver, Colorado with US Renal Care. Hi, my name is Cam Shanai and I am a patient on hemodialysis since July of 2021, and I'm very eager to share my personal experience with you today. Great. Thank you all, and we're very happy to have you here on board. So we'll be starting our discussion focusing on our outpatient chronic kidney disease patients, right, who are transitioning to dialysis. Now, I know that there are some resources available for teaching patients about their kidney options. Gretchen, can you tell us a little bit about that process and what it entails? Absolutely. Before these classes, the nephrologist is the first to speak with the patient about options that they see best fit given medical history and what they know about resources at home for patients that are going to be transitioning to some dialysis modality. Nephrologists have limited time to see so many patients, and talking about the nitty-gritty details of each modality isn't something that they have hours on end for. And this is where our kidney care options or KCO classes come in at U.S. Renal Care. KCO classes are meant to help patients navigate the transition from advanced CKD to end-stage kidney failure and finding which modality is best for them. These classes are offered at our clinics and are typically run by our social work and our dietitian. Sometimes nurses attend if they're available. And this is just a place where pros and cons of each modality are discussed. These classes which typically have been smaller for us or more intimate than a large classroom setting. They focus on having the patient and a family member or caregiver consider how their individual lifestyle and wellness goals fit into their choice of modality. So things to consider that we discuss include living arrangements, space in the home for modality equipment, if a partner is needed or not, how dietary restrictions may differ, 
and important things like transportation and travel are typically discussed by the social worker. Great. Thank you so much, Gretchen. I think that's very important insight and kind of gives us a good idea about, you know, what goes through in terms of educating patients about their different options. Now, Nupur, you had mentioned to me earlier that you have kidney smart classes. Can you tell us a little bit more about those? Most of the other uh, large dialysis organizations like Prisons and DeVita, they have these options for free classes and the patients can sign up themselves. They can also, we have clinics attached or they can go to a dialysis unit. They have uh, trained educators which talk about dialysis options and even talk about CKD stage three disease and up to all the way to dialysis, post-dialysis. These can be virtual, these can be in person, they can be a small group, it can be one person. So there are different modalities, different ways of uh, having these classes. That's very helpful. And I like the versatility, right? Patients are able to get the resources and information that they need right, in ways that fit them, because one size fits all doesn't really work for everybody. So I think that's very helpful uh, for us all to know. Thanks, Nupur. So Cam, as the patient here on the panel, can you tell us a little bit about your journey and experiences through the transition from your non-dialysis days to your dialysis days? Uh, sure, uh, I'll be happy to share my journey. I'm 73 years old, and during the summer of 2020, I knew my kidneys were beginning to fail and I was headed towards dialysis. That one year period of my life was one of the most nerve wracking periods, frightening periods in my life. The uncertainty, the prospect of being dependent on a machine to live, frankly, scared me. And as my creatinine levels in my blood started climbing and the GFR kept falling, my anxiety levels went into a frenzy. All I did was start playing that what if game. What if this, what if that, strange thoughts, like will my wife have, of 50 years be a widow soon? Would I be able to even hug my grandkids? Would I be able to live life? Simply put, it was a mess. And finally, July of 2021, it happened. I had to be rushed to the ER and I started my dialysis treatment there. Slowly and surely, the mystery was no longer a mystery. And about three months into my treatment, and after a lot of soul searching and introspection, I decided to put my thoughts on a piece of paper and that gave birth to my philosophy, a new philosophy as I call it, called 88 hours. And that philosophy became the turning point in my life. Perspective really does shape a lot of our experiences and how we go through things. So I think you know that's a very positive perspective and attitude to have towards such a big change and shift right in, in your day-to-day. -day. Now, speaking of shifts, uh, you know, I want to shift gears now to more of the inpatient side of things. Suzanne, you see patients in the hospital all the time who are transitioning from acute kidney injury to dialysis, at least temporarily, while we monitor their kidney function and for kidney recovery. How do you approach those patients when you see them in the hospital? I just try to go and speak to the patient directly at the bedside talk about what their acute kidney injury is from, and of course, depend heavily on my nephrologist and other physicians here to discuss what the causes were and then uh, alleviate that issue. 
Now they do sometimes have to move on to dialysis, which we talk about is just temporary and the road to renal recovery. And I think the biggest thing is just making them understand the education, what they do and really don't understand about what needs to happen about follow up with their nephrologist to monitor those labs, watch their fluid status, and just understand that compliance is everything in order to get your renal recovery back. It's a delicate situation and definitely uh, involves support of the nephrologist, like you said, but you know, you do play a pivotal role as well in that transition and making it smoother for all of us. Now, Heather, you deal with patients who are transitioning from acute kidney injury to uh, continuous renal replacement therapy, most of whom have never had or known about any issues with their kidneys. Can you tell us a little bit about that transition and how you go about having those discussions with the patients and their families? Dialysis-dependent acute kidney injury, previously on continual renal replacement therapy, can be a very devastating and overwhelming diagnosis. Some of these individuals may never have heard of acute kidney injury or even heard of dialysis. Even for individuals diagnosed with chronic kidney disease, dialysis is life-changing. The initial transition to dialysis obviously includes the consent for the therapy. The consent explains the pre-procedure diagnosis of acute kidney injury or chronic kidney disease, followed by the necessary procedure to treat the condition. I then discuss with both the family and the patient, including what dialysis does, the risk and benefits of starting dialysis, and based on the age and past medical history, signs and symptoms of recovery. Transitioning to dialysis includes educational sessions such as line access, nutritional aspects that include do's and don'ts of what to avoid, timing of each dialysis session, including the dialysis unit that includes three days a week, social workers and kidney care coordinators. Thank you for that. Yeah, I think that's very helpful and, you know, a very uh, complex network of people who are involved in helping make this transition as smooth as possible for our patients. Now, real quick, Susanna, I have another question for you. How is your approach different with patients who have known chronic kidney disease who are transitioning to dialysis then? Well, for me, the approach is about the same to all patients in that even if they have CKD, I'm not sure they fully understand that they have CKD and where it might lead. So I approach all patients about the same. We talk about where you're gonna go to dialysis. If you've already established with a local nephrologist and to follow up with that person and then setting up their dialysis, how often they're going to go and that they will develop a relationship with their outpatient clinic and they will depend on that nephrologist to see how they're gonna do. And you know, at the clinic, I think the most important thing is that they're gonna have support from the nurses there the doctors, the social work, and the dietitian, which I all think is a great team of people to keep them on the right track. Managing these patients across these different transitions, Newport, as the physician who's taking care of these patients, can you tell us a little bit about how we go about arranging access and monitoring patients with acute kidney injury who require dialysis for kidney recovery? Yeah, Osama. So I think it's it's a little challenging. And I think the team you have probably makes you successful or helps you go through the transition and the patient too. First thing is first deciding if this dialysis is going to be long term. That means, I mean, six months to a year or short term. 
and discussing with the patients about the goals. Because if the goal is to just try and see how it does and recover a tunnel dialysis catheter, although some patients may end up needing dialysis later in their life. So getting the access placed, then discussing other options of different dialysis modalities like home dialysis, PD, going, connecting them to the right people, having the right staff. Once the decision is made, in, even in the hospital or in the outpatient setting that this dialysis is long-term, is declaring them ESRD, which is the term for CMS and billing. Generally, the timeline is 90 days. In those first 90 days in the observation, we try to monitor the urine output, look at the creatinine closely, have blood drawn weekly, sometimes twice a week, depending on what is needed, and have the patients come in, collect the urine. If you see change in the urine output, uh, let us know. Change in the urine output, uh, let us know. We can definitely do more investigation, trying to avoid more changes in the blood pressure, educate him again, same about medications. So those first 90 days are very crucial, especially when they come out from the hospital and then slowly providing them support to transition to more permanent forms or maybe continuing the same modality. Thinking through all these transitions, I think an important aspect, like we had mentioned before, is the role of the dietitian. So with regards to nutrition and dietary recommendations, Gretchen, are there differences in education for diet for patients of acute kidney injury versus chronic kidney disease who are starting dialysis? There absolutely are. I work in an outpatient setting, so I see patients that come in with acute kidney injury or end-stage kidney failure. Sometimes these patients come in very abruptly starting these modalities if they didn't know that they had an issue with their kidneys before, I really like to start off by asking every patient what they know about diet in relation to their kidney disease. And that's kind of where I go from because you have to meet people where they are and with the information they know, because oftentimes I, if I show up and just start educating, someone might go, wait, I have to change my diet. <laughs> so starting with that question, abruptly started dialysis whether they're AKI or um, has end-stage kidney failure, they usually haven't been educated thoroughly on these topics beyond maybe a kind nurse speaking to them about limiting potassium while they're in the hospital. So for these patients, I like to spread out the education over a couple visits. I think this is useful because they've so recently been inundated with so much information. I like to come armed with materials. So having a broad dialysis nutrition guide that covers all nutrient needs specific to their situation and maybe a corresponding grocery station and maybe a corresponding grocery list. I like to ask how they learn best, whether they prefer visuals, examples, meal plan samples, or if they prefer to read on their own and discuss with me. In regards to the differences between diet recommendations, I follow the 2020 Kidigo guideline updates for that. And to be honest, Quite a few of these now are much more, they much more focus on individualizing a diet prescription or a diet order. So the actual amount of energy, protein, potassium, phosphorus, calcium are much more focused on individualizing to maintain serum balance and fluid balance. All nutrients, I guess, an approach that I like to take with all patients is to let them know that these are ever-changing and in their individualized based on the labs that we reviewed together. Um, I found that patients can be frustrated sometimes when hearing 
me make an opposite recommendation when their labs do fluctuate. This expectation of labs changing and working together to find the amount that is suitable for them seems to cause less stress when labs do periodically come out of range. In terms of similarities with diet education, there are three things that I emphasize with all patients across all stages and modalities. Portion sizes and eating most foods in moderation is good. Um, I emphasize the foods that they can and should enjoy um, and how the nutrients relate to all of their lab values specifically. I think that's very helpful and a great point for us all to think about when we're uh, talking to our patients about this transition, making sure that the dietitian is as involved as possible early on, because like you said, it is a transition and it does work best with a stepwise approach. Now, Suzanne, for patients who are transitioning to home dialysis, a modality we have not talked about much today, what are some of the logistics and arrangements that you need to make from the inpatient side of things to make that transition smoother? Well, this is probably my favorite part in that I have been in this business 25 plus years and dialysis has come a long way. We not only have dialysis in the hospital and then in our units, but we can also offer home dialysis to so many people. And what we talk about is that their home unit and whether they provide a home unit program, whether it's going to be for PD or HD, and it just opens up so many more possibilities for so many of our patients. And it's wonderful. And they talk about if they've got that support person and they'd like to do it at home. So I set them up with a dialysis unit that has a home program and they work through the logistics in the house about where they can put the chair, where they can put their supplies. And it just has opened up so many more patients to thinking about doing their own treatments at home and the freedom that that offers. And they often ask, what do you know about home? And I had the pleasure of doing several home patients. And then my father, who had AKI after heart surgery, dialyzed for a year. And so I can speak about it, just not personally, and but professionally. It's a wonderful new area of dialysis that we have to offer when we offer home dialysis. Absolutely. And I'm sure, like you said, it adds a different dimension when there's a professional and a personal component to what you're doing. Cam... Having heard all of these different moving pieces, do you have any final thoughts or things that you wish the rest of us know about or should factor in when addressing patients going through this tough transition period? I've been on dialysis now for a little over a year and I've experienced the ups and downs, the highs and lows. Uh, I've experienced the four hours in the chair, the fistula surgery to create the access for the treatment. But most importantly, I realized that dialysis is a gift of life. All it takes is to have the right attitude, the right support network, and the right discipline to live life. Let me start with the right attitude. We all have 168 hours in a week. Out of those, sleep for about 68. So now I'm left with 100 active hours but I don't have the 100 active hours because I'm on the dialysis chair for 12 out of those 100. So that brings me to the 88 hours. So what you do with those 88 hours is very, very important. So what I've decided to do is focus on whatever we enjoy the most, family life, community work, learning new things, leisure reading, music, exercise, social interactions, whatever it is that you enjoy the most, is what you need to think about. Think about these 88 hours and your attitude will change. 
Think about the things you can accomplish and your attitude will change. Think positive thoughts and your attitude will change. So don't just give up. The next thing is the right support network. I call it my lifeline. I've gotten to know the entire staff. They are my support network away from home. Listen to them, interact with them, learn from them, make this your support network and make your extended family. Build a strong relationship with your nephrologist and the nurse practitioner. Use them as your coach and a counselor. I find this relationship most valuable. There is a lot of information floating around on the internet. Make sure before you do anything to change course, consult with your nephrologist. And finally, your social network. Remember, social isolation is one of the root causes that leads to depression. Don't be shy to share what's going on in your mind with your spouse, your family, your friends. It is perfectly normal to show your vulnerable self from time to time. More you do it, the more you'll realize you're not alone. And the more you interact, the more you feel normal. The more normal you feel, the better attitude you have. And the better attitude you have, more fulfilling is your life. So stay connected. Finally, let's talk about the right discipline. This is totally in our hands. What we eat, what we drink, how much we exercise, how much we socially interact, what we do with our 88 hours is totally up to us. Have the discipline to eat right, have the discipline to restrict fluids, have the discipline to get the treatment as prescribed, and have the discipline to exercise regularly on non-dialysis days and force yourself to think positive thoughts. I had one option, and that option was to have no dialysis treatment and have a zero chance of living. The second option was to go ahead with the dialysis, but live and still have 88 hours to absolutely have an active life. I chose option two. And as I wait for my transplant, I'm taking full advantage of the 88 hours. And I just remember those three things, right attitude, right support network, right discipline. And as a wise man once said, I'm trying to master the art of staying young while growing old. Thank you very much for that answer, Cam. I think that really sums things up for us really well. We touched on many important points regarding supporting our patients through this transition and the role of the different members of the team in helping making that process as smooth as possible for our patients and for ourselves, really. Because if we're not coordinated together, it just adds more work for all of us in trying to make this a smooth process for both us and our patients. Stay tuned for a future episode where we'll be covering transitions to transplant, a whole different you know, bag of worms and a whole set of other challenges that patients go through to get to the point where they're ready for a transplant. Uh, I'd like to thank our panel members for their contributions to this important discussion. And to all our listeners, thank you for joining us on this ride of the kidney commute. Remember, Eligible audiences can earn CE credit for listening to this episode by clicking the link in the episode description. If you have any comments or suggestions for future episodes, please email the team at nkfpodcast at kidney.org. That's nkfpodcast at kidney.org. Stay tuned for future huddles. And in the meantime, 
continue to let new perspectives inspire your practice.